Exegesis. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Countdown to Exegesis, the world's most exhaustive Steely Dan podcast, where I, Ollie, a longtime Dan fan, take Andrew Hello. on an exhausting song-by-song trip through the entire Steely Dan discography. So, we should briefly explain the format, I think, which boils down to basically going through every Steely Dan album in order, mm-hmm. song by song, episode per song, and just kind of just kind of sharing our thoughts. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we should kind of briefly go over our relationships with, uh, with the Dan. Yes, as they will um, be referred to throughout. Yeah, 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 because Steely Dan is just too much of a mouthful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am. Um, I guess you could. I guess I'm as close to being what you might call a Steely Dan obsessive, mm-hmm. without without kind of following their tour bus around um, while they were still touring, or or you know, going after every Japanese seven inch that ever came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I'm familiar with every Steely Dan album, more or less, and I have opinions on every Steely Dan album. And if you if you asked me to name my top five bands or artists, Steely Dan would comfortably be top five one or two, depending on my mood at the time. Good lord, okay. Um, where is you, Andrew? Yeah, uh, well, I think I wrote them off uh, about fifteen years ago. When I heard Asia, Asia is how am I pronouncing it? Um, it? Like many things in Steely Dan world, it's um, it's kept deliberately ambiguous. No, it's Asia. Asia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I heard Asia a long time ago, and immediately, like with the arrogance of adolescence mm-hmm. or possibly early adulthood, um, just like pigeonholed it as clinical, slick soulless these are some of the words i was throwing around in my mind um and it and it is it is all of those things and it and it's brilliant but but do go on well i was gonna say i was hoping that doing this podcast you know i would uproot all those biases but if it's true that they are clinical slick and soulless we may as well call it off (laughs) (laughs) no because what you'll find is that that cynical cynicism slickness and lack of soul is um is only a surface beneath which well no it's 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 kind of if if steely dan were a flower bed and the compost were was lack of soul cynicism yeah. you know uh, and and clinicalness then what is surprising is that that compost can can create a, a beautiful array of of daisies mhm it's not about getting rid of those biases it's about allowing those biases to to reveal the beauty of uh-huh. steely dan and and really this is it's interesting that you mentioned your teenage perception of steely dan because mm-hmm. my my theory of, of steely dan and why i think this is this is such a uh this is so exciting for me because my my theory is basically that anyone anyone who's been bitten by the truth of adulthood and has uh-huh. Found solace in, um, in in cynicism or snark. Yeah, will like Steely Dan with enough exposure. And and what I'm what I'm doing to you now, what I'm forcing you through, is 
is effectively what I forced myself through, you know, a, a, an album by album kind of yeah um, journey through Steely Dan and and really uh, this album that we're starting with today uh, can't buy a thrill is it, it, it's it's quite a good introduction really because what you have to you have to kind of the first step in in becoming one with Dan is to um, is to kind of get past the sheen and the slickness and uh-huh. okay. this is a this is a good entry point I would say um, because uh, it's it's slick in a kind of you know West Coast yacht rock Doobie Brothers kind of way but what we don't yet have is is the is the jazz pretensions showing themselves. Okay. Uh, it, oh, so the jazz it, it pretensions come later. Yeah, I mean they're always there. They they always have you know a little uh, a, a little kind of ninth in there. Yeah. Um, but before we kind of get into the album, um, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a Purity Session IPA, four point five percent. Um, how very how very non Dan of you. Well. I I was considering when we were planning to do this, uh, we were talking about how Dan regularly mentioned cocktails, yeah, like or, or spirits or yeah, contraband in general. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking I would put together like a Cuban breeze or something, especially for tonight. Mm-hmm. But then I just went to the shop and bought a, a local ale instead because I, you know, I feel I need to be true to myself. If you need help sort of picturing Andrew, um he is uh he's a long haired gentleman yeah. with a with with a kind of a, a two week beard. Um yeah. in a in a cozy jumper. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I I mean he is he is the platonic ideal of folk club. More or less. I mean so, that's pretty that's pretty harsh. You haven't signed up to this thinking it was a Steel Eye Span podcast, have you? <laughs> Well, you would. I would also take convincing about Steel Ice Ban. So don't try and pigeonhole me, Ollie, because of my because of my lovely jumper. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lovely jumper, but I took it off. So don't be too offended. Yeah. Um, well, I think uh, I think that Steely Dan is is very far away from my own personal aesthetic, both in terms of my wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> and my taste in music but there does seem to be overlap with stuff that i enjoy which is why i think there's hope for me and and the dan like the mitchell meister like mitchell yeah and also i believe there was some overlap with the dead with the grateful dead and with csny i don't know for sure so i'm drinking a (laughs) calimacho uh which which is uh well I guess you could call it a poor man's calamacho. Okay. Which is which is Basque's kind of national cocktail, I guess. Um and it's and it's basically equal parts red wine and Coca-Cola. Oh right. That sounds vile. Uh it's it the first sip is vile, but then um Really, like Steely Dan, you could say. Um, yeah, your your body just your, your taste buds just warm to it, and it's um it, it's great. It's it's especially good for um for making a, a, a crap wine more drinkable. Yeah. Um. But 
it's usually served over rice, and it, and this uh, this is just unchilled wine with unchilled Coca Cola, or I should say, any generic Coke drink. Yeah, um, cola drink. Uh, yeah, so it's it's not a proper Calamacho, but it's very good. Okay, so one one concern I have here. So you're drinking a Calamacho, and you said you know, the first sip is vile, but eventually you will learn to enjoy it because as you drink it, you're basically forgetting what other things taste like. Yeah. What I'm pushing at here is that there's kind of going to be a process of attrition as we work through the Steely Dan discography mm-hmm. where I'm listening to a new Steely Dan track every week and gradually I lose my moorings. <laughs> I lose the aesthetic moorings uh, that keep me tethered to the key of myself. Uh, and I yeah, sort of forget be... what other things sound like. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, no, by by Dan's standards, this is a fantastic track. Beautifully yeah. soulless or, you know, whatever. Uh, and and this is this is part of the process. And, and at first it will be um, it will be scary to to continue your metaphor as you as you lose your moorings and are kind of whipped up. Yeah. By 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 the kind of white lapping ocean and 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 taken somewhere unknown you'll eventually come to a, to a kind of quiet cove and that okay. quiet cove is that quiet cove is steely dan and and you don't have to wor- you don't have to worry about its pres- about how it fits into the ocean because the dan cove mm. is its own thing and every once in a while you can just go and sit in a dan, dan cove yeah uh with your uh, pina colada Mm-hmm. And your Hawaiian shirt, and sit on your sun lounger, and m- maybe take some hard drugs, and and just just look over at the ocean and and sneer at it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're painting a beautiful words picture here. I'm so, so, yeah, I'm so, sold on the the image that you're painting. I'm just not so, quite so sure that my time in the Dan Cove is going to be like that. I don't know. I'm basically I'm. I feel I should say this somewhat defensively, but because I'm an intruder in the Dan world, I feel I should make it clear that I'm not here to sneer. You know, I'm here to uh, learn and uh, in- eventually enjoy something about the Dan. Great, and and yeah. and before long, you you will be sneering along. Yeah, with Becker and Fagan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one issue that I've had uh, getting going with with the Dan is that. Recently, all I've been listening to is quite miserableist stuff. So, like, I've been listening to a lot of Bob Dylan's Oh Mercy, which is a very, very bleak album. And then also Time Out of Mind, where he seems to just which be like... also a Steely Dan track. That's the name of a Steely Dan track? Mm-hmm. Exciting. Okay. Mm. Well, now I'm all a quiver. Um, well, because they did, I think, I think, I'm not sure if they ever acknowledged his influence, but you can certainly hear Dylan's influence on... Especially on the early lyrics, okay. As we get to kind of album three, um, he, the, the 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 kind of Dylan um, influence is, is quite apparent there. But anyway, carry on. Well, no, just that. So, having spent this week basically listening to an old man ruminating on lost love and the apocalypse, "Do It Again" by Steely Dan seems a little, you know, flimsy. Okay. So I need to get in the mood. I need to get in the Dan zone. Okay, well, that's interesting. Before we go into that, let me just um, let me let me just hit you with some Dan fact, just to set the scene. Okay, where are we? Where are we in Dan world? 
released in 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, Becker and Fagan, the, the two members of Steely Dan, if you like, they were semi-officially a band at, at, at the point of making this album, but it was always Becker and Fagan who wrote the songs, chose the players, you know, ran the ring, if that's what they say. If that's what you, They were yeah. the circus chiefs. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Effectively, you had uh, Becker and Fagan were in New York. They were they were trying to uh, trying to kind of hawk their wares as as kind of Brill Building style songwriters. I, I think ah, okay. they might have actually been in the Brill Building. Um, and that's interesting. And and kind of and, and kind of just trying to sell songs. And and they did have some successes. There is a there is a um, Barbara Streisand, I believe, did a. Did a, a Becker and Fagan track prior mm-hmm. to Steely Dan existing, um, right, right. But throughout this process, but you know they weren't very successful, and, and by their own admission, they were kind of crap pop songwriters. Um, so you know they'd met in college on and 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 kind of forged a friendship on a on a love of of jazz, really. Mm. Um, so within their repertoire that they'd built up, they had. Um, they had kind of several. They they were push, They had songs that were pushing in a more jazzy direction, I guess, or um, <clears throat> a more kind of off the charts direction. Yeah. Um. And and they had this in a big book, which they called the Dino or, or Dynamite. It was it was their it was their book of like really hot shit. Okay. And a literal um, book. A literal a literal book of songs. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll actually quote from the uh, from the liner notes to "Can't Buy a Thrill" here. The the new liner notes. Uh, so it was our opinion that this collection of songs, our life's work to date, would morph effortlessly into classic albums, swank long running careers, juicy bank accounts, houses with swimming pools, powerful mid engine sports cars, happiness, security, girls, girls, girls. In short, everything we needed to get by. So that's where they were, and they could, they get they they kind of they move to Los Angeles. Um, they're like, we need a we need a band to play this music. So they form a band around them of of kind of people they knew from New York, shipped over, and 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 session players, um, and they create "Can't Buy a Thrill," which um, which ended up I think being like maybe like fifty percent of Dino material mm. and. Fifty percent of of kind of newly written stuff um, with which, these new members in LA. Yeah, so adjusting to the fact that they were now a band instead of a duo, and also um, and also by their own admission, kind of trying to just sweeten the stew a little bit in mm. terms of maybe trying some of their more out there material and it not really coming across like they'd hoped, and you know this awareness that they're making, they're kind of debut album it's got to make a bit of a pop statement so you end up with you end up with tracks half from the kind of back catalog and 50 percent from literally just written for um Uh for this album in in the la in their new sunny la environment um compose you know in comparison to the the bleakness of of new york Mm -hmm. and just for my benefit what what are their roles becker and fagan so um so Fagan is uh, is pianist, keyboardist, um, 
most likely the main songwriter um and and also and also usually the lead singer so this is another thing about about can't buy a thrill is it's a little bit of an outlier in in dan's discography for all sorts of reasons Mm. um chiefly being the kind of the almost kind of doobie brothers sound of the whole thing It's, it's almost a bit country in places but also um some of the tracks are, are sung by this guy called David Palmer, who what from um, Jethro Tull? Not David Palmer from Jethro Tull. Oh. It's, a, it's a it's a different. <laughs> so I was watching a documentary about Jethro Tull yesterday, and David Palmer, very well, is now a she is now D Palmer, and she is very acerbic about uh, the Tull. But anyway, that's for a whole different. Uh, that's for our spin-off podcast. Um, living in the past. The most exhaustive, <laughs> exhaustive Jethro Tull podcast. <laughs> Where was I? Anyway, not that David Palmer. Okay, or I'm Palmer. disappointed because that would have been really a lovely um, synchronicity. No, um, he's he's a kind of he's a kind of long-haired American cockerel of a man. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what to picture. And you'll hear some of his. You'll 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 know him when you hear him on this album because mm. he he does sing some of the songs. But he was brought in basically as a live vocalist at some point in the album sessions or or, or just before, um, because Donald Fagan, you know, Becker and Fagan in their naivety were kind of um, had this big book and had this big plan, but hadn't realised that they'd have to promote it on tour. Um, mm-hmm. So Donald Fagan, as this reluctant lead singer, was like basically terrified of singing in public. Right. So David Palmer comes in to do the singing on tour um, and, and also to sing, to sing a few tracks on the album. How planned or unplanned that was, I don't know. Um, so, that's, so, that's, so that's Donald Fagan. And then, and then Becker, was, um, Becker was usually the bass player, though not always. Um, and also... You know, it's it's hard to say because they don't give a lot of, lot away about their songwriting process. But mm. the general consensus is Donald Fagan wrote most of the songs, um, and then they would kind of workshop it together with with the Beck, to to give it that kind of Becker and Fagan uh, quality. Which and my take on it is that is that Becker was the kind of sneer master general, if you like. He he's he's Becker he, was he's. I think I think Becker was the chief snark merchant. That's that's really interesting because you sent me a YouTube link to an interview with Becker and Fagan where they're in the back of a cab talking yeah, about um, Everything Must Go, an album called Everything Must Go. Which is their final album, yeah. Yeah. Um, um and it's a very strange interview. It seems like it's all been staged. Um yeah. but my impression was that Becker was like a slightly clumsy, awkward, but ultimately lovable uncle. Mm. Like there's a bit where uh, this woman gets in the cab and she's a big Steely Dan fan and they're talking to her and she says, oh, so what's the new record like? And Walter Becker goes, it's a goddamn party record. (laughs) (laughs) Which coming from him, because he looks like he's just at a barbecue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite sweet, you know what I mean. Fagan, on the other hand, seems very aloof and quite 
surprisingly critical of this woman who gets in the cab with them. So she tells a story about how she got into Steely Dan because she went out with somebody at college who liked Steely Dan. Okay. Called Rafe. And uh, Fagan goes... Ralph. His name was Ralph, actually. His name was actually Ralph. He he lied about his name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Fagan is suspicious, uh, but not of Rafe, who lied about his name, but of this woman. So he sort of goes like, oh, so do do you really like the Dan, or is it just because of Rafe? You know, did did our music speak to your condition? Which seems very haughty, <laughs> you know? So so my impression was that, like, Becker and Fagin is like Piper and Souter on this podcast in that you're the lovable, cuddly... Fat. F- I wouldn't say fat, just sort of, uh, you know, approachably large um, <laughs> enthusiast, <laughs> whereas I'm the sort of, like, slightly suspicious, a slightly cautious person who needs convincing. You know what I mean? So it really interests okay. me that you say that Becca was the the chief font of snark. And, and we haven't introduced our second names yet, so I should just point out that mm-hmm. I'm Ollie Piper and, and, and Andrew is Andrew Souter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, that, the, the Piper-Souter dynamic. It's interesting that... Okay, so I effectively see it as Walter Becker is... I'm trying to. I'm kind of thinking like a classroom scenario here, and Becker is the one who has built up a kind of a, a kind of thick skin of confidence, mm. and he's not afraid to uh, he's not afraid to talk to girls, but he's he's also just like a bit snarky. He's um, he, he's he he kind of he can come across as friendly, but there's always a hint of snark in what he says. Yeah. Because he, because the world has done him wrong. Yeah, we've all met you know. that kind of person. Whereas Donald Fagan is, I, I I think much more shy and probably more guarded, but mm. um, but he 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 seems to have basically a good heart underneath it all. And I'm sure Becker had a good heart as well. I'm not saying mm. that Becker was evil, but if you want <laughs> to reduce them to cartoon characters, yeah, yes, please. Then you know, for the ease of understanding, then uh, that's that's how I see it. And I think if you, I think once we get to um, Donald Fagan's solo albums, if we ever get that far, mm. um, there is a there is a kind of well of like hope in 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 Fagan's solo stuff that mm-hmm. is just absent from the Dan, right? Because he's finally Actually, off the the Becker leash, and he's well, able to write just, nice, hopeful songs. The the natural. Um, layman's way of looking at it is when you take out Becker's influence then then suddenly you get these kind of these much these much more optimistic by Steely Dan standards songs Mm. because they're not optimistic songs so you don't want to go with the leash metaphor that's what you're saying I can't even remember what the leash metaphor was (laughs) oh the 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 kind of BDSM um, yeah yeah Becker and Fagan fan art yeah Becker is the dom and uh, Fagan is the uh, (laughs) the willing victim and then released from the dungeon he's able to really sparkle <laughs> but yeah i think your explanation is more intuitive i'm i'm sure it's not anything like um uh, your scenario or my scenario it's things are always much more complex and complex and nuanced than this yeah but as, as as a dan fan that's the kind of um that's that's the way i've always looked at it one day these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis. We're back. We're, we're recording again. 
So one thing that um, struck me straight away about the album title Can't Buy a Thrill is that it is from a Bob Dylan song. Is it? Yes. So it's from the song It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry, which is from Highway 61. Um, And in itself, potentially not an interesting fact, but it kind of uh, plays into my preconceptions and prejudices about the Dan. Mm -hmm. So... The Dylan song um, is about a drifter, I guess, on a mail train. So it goes, I ride on a mail train, baby, can't buy a thrill. I've been up all night leaning on the windowsill. And immediately, I guess that paints a picture of, yeah, like a drifting, slightly world-weary hobo type riding on the mail train because he can't afford a train ticket and like can't buy a thrill. It's like he's shut out from all the nightlife. So the Dylan song, it seems like there is a character being introduced to us who has a slightly world-weary, cynical attitude. Mm-hmm. Dan then take that phrase, being snark merchants par excellence. Mm-hmm. They take that title, take that phrase, and, and put it as a title. But without the context of the song, it just sounds kind of cynical. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like something that a really cynical person would say. Like, ugh, can't buy a thrill. You know, and then sigh heavily. I would, so I would... it kind of taps into what I assume Dan to be like, which is just a bit sneery. Yeah. You know? But I don't know whether that's been, uh, But also it's, it's indicative of the kind of, like, the multi-layered Dan. Because... Mm. They would have been well aware that some of their audience would recognise that reference. I didn't know the reference, but they, you know, they they know that some people would go, "Oh, that's a Dylan title," and it would conjure up those images. Mm. And they also probably were aware that, like, certain most people would just see it as a as a sort of snarky album title. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's what um, I mean. It's like first impressions, isn't it? This is their this is their debut album. And they're giving it this very sort of world-weary title. So, yeah, great. You're getting it. I'm getting it. So they're very shallow. <laughs> <laughs> they're very shallow. And very quick to judge. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, they're the, they're the table at school who sneer at everyone. I'm imma- I am say at school. I'm imagining a, uh, an American high school with its cliques. Not yeah. kind of British school where you just pull on each other's ties and fart. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's it's the kind of uh, it's the sneery intellectual table mm. um, where you you don't you won't like them until you uh, 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 and, and until you sit with them enough to kind of catch them off guard. Mm. titled because we will be doing this again and again and again but the the world's the world's introduction to Steely Dan more or less um there were a couple of there was a single and a b-side I believe before this but um mm-hmm. we might we might do that as a uh, 
as a Patreon special. Yeah, yeah, one for the subscribers. Uh, but, but, you know, more or less, you drop the needle on the first Dan record, and this is what you hear. Um, so, I thought we could talk about this in three stages, Andrew. We could... Okay. Um, we, we can talk about vibe. Yeah. Most importantly. We can talk about music, and we can talk about lyrics. Okay. Just to just to provide a bit of a framework for our, for our chat, so starting with uh, vibe, mm-hmm. and I thought you could you could lead on that. I just just your first thoughts on 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 do it again as a song, as a piece. Okay, so as an introduction or a reintroduction to the world of Dan, I thought it was pretty good. The groove is like a good bed for the song. So when the when it when the song starts, it feels promising. It's a good groove. I thought that Annie Lennox was going to start singing Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves uh, okay. after a few bars. But then I feel like the vibe for me is of a karaoke track uh, that Donald Fagan is quite nasally singing over. So, mm-hmm. like... Before the vocal comes in, they basically go through the whole form of the song, right? They do like really fucking long intro, um, which includes like, you know, the main hook and then verse and then the chorus. And like when it then repeats with Fagan's vocal, um, as far as I could tell, it's exactly the same. So like there's one bit where there's these sort of uh, chimes, you know, and they come back at exactly the same point when the vocals in there. So it feels to me like an extremely well executed karaoke track for a kind of Latin groove. Mm. Um, And also in terms of the vibe, it sounded to me like a bit midi, you know, like, like the drums uh, especially sound so well placed and like everything, every hit is the same volume as the last. And like it doesn't feel like a drummer stretching out and enjoying themselves in the studio. It just sounds kind of programmed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole thing for me felt a bit plastic, you know, um, a bit kind of like an imitation of a of a Latin tune. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's got a good hook. Okay. So a few Dan facts about this song. Um, so it's. This, as far as I can tell, this is this was not part of the dino, right? Um, this was written in LA uh, as for the album, um, and and this was actually a bona fide hit as well. I, I think this was the first single. It might have been reeling in the years, um, but this hit number six on the Billboard Hot 100 mm-hmm. uh, in the UK, uh, where where the Dan generally did worse. Um, it was number thirty nine. Okay. So, so they hit the hot, they hit the top forty uh, yeah. in in the UK. Um, yeah. Okay. That, no, that's 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 interesting because your take on the vibe is, uh, I, I guess, it kind of moves us onto the music, really. Which yeah, I realised so halfway vo- through that that I'd um, blurred maybe the your vibe categories. Is a bit, is, is a, maybe the vibe is a bad category, which we'll nix after this episode. We'll see. <laughs> um, but. Musically speaking, I would almost describe this in Steely Dan terms as a loose groove. Fucking hell. Now, <laughs> what are there other grooves I, like? 
which only shows the the kind of gulf between us in, <laughs> um, in, in our perception of things. But but to me, this is this is there is it's really unmatched in the Steely Dan catalogue in terms of um, in terms of a loose groove. Apart, excepting maybe Bodhisattva from the uh, which is the intro track to to album number two, mm. um, but. You as you as you kind of move on in the Steely Dan albums, like you get the impression that like each each little hi hat and each each note is placed with absolute precision. Yeah. Um, to, to the point where it's almost kind of it's almost like math rock. You know, it's it's like yeah. you know exactly what where what's going where. And whereas whereas this to me feels like Steely Dan stretching out and um, and vamping. More or less, it's it's a kind of extended vamp. Um, See, that's that's so weird because lit- I literally had the opposite impression, which was that it was a kind of clinical studio concocted groove, and it but, doesn't sound like. I think like this morning I was listening to um, Donny Hathaway, the soul singer, mm-hmm. uh, and his version of Jealous Guy, and like to me that feels like musicians are all together on stage and they're. <laughs> I was about to say cooking up a groove, but it, the the self loathing. Um, forbids me from saying that can, can you can you can you say it again but in a jules holland accent <laughs> <laughs> i think i wonder what jules makes of steely dan oh, i can imagine he, he, fagan he, at the piano what i'm saying is it doesn't really sound to me like steely dan on this track are enjoying creating music together it sounds no, okay. like they have like a like a like a sort of a pointillist painting, you know, with each dot placed with with great precision. They have like stitched together just to switch metaphors to tapestry. Uh, a, a facsimile of enjoyment. A facsimile of of groove. So, what is? Yeah, I mean, you need to hear more, really. But yeah. I, I take what you're saying, and and I I, I get it. Um, what is also unusual about this is. Um, is 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 just that they will they will allow just kind of this vamp to breathe and and you get all sorts so you get so you're kind of like you say you've got the kind of just go it just goes on and then and then and then a chord change little chordy turn around and then back back to the um it's uh for Steely Dan to do that and then just and 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 then basically let that be the fabric of the song, with extended solos and things like this, it almost to me it feels like Steely Dan kind of hurtling out of the sixties. It's like it's like mm. the last kind of comet trail of of nineteen sixties in Steely Dan with the electric guitar. Um, yeah, I was going to mention uh, that. Yeah, and and the, these uh, these kind of these kind of stretched out solos. Steely Dan love a solo, um, but what is more, uh, you know, what what will happen more and more going on is that Steely Dan will change things up under a solo. They'll never allow us. They'll never just mm. vamp and solo. Yeah, that's, that's that's kind of unheard of. In, so, in, do you in think Danland. the the title "Do It Again" is self reflexive because it's just a repeated groove? I mean, I, I, I'm. I will advocate for Steely Dan's intellectualism 
with the best of them, but <laughs> I, but I I, th- I don't think it, they were even that self-aware at this point. Oh, okay, okay. Um, maybe they were. I don't know. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it, it it's it, it, it's kind of a left. It's a bit of a left-footed introduction to Steely Dan because it is not. It's it's the loosest thing I think they've ever done. Right, fucking hell. So you know that that sets the. Mm. That's going to be a long podcast series, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing. I, that, I, oh, carry on. No, carry on. Well, I was just going to say one thing that interested me was that yeah, the electric sitar solo. Um, mm. Because like the so. As I understand it, end of the 60s, there was a huge fad for sitar parts in songs, mm-hmm. um, which I think is George Harrison's ultimate responsibility because he did he put sitar on Norwegian wood and then studied with Ravi Shankar, really got into it and did Within You, Without You and Love You Too. And that then led to, like I looked on Wikipedia and the amount of songs that like American and British pop songs that feature sitar in the late sixties is ridiculous. Like it seems to have just been a a flavoring that was put in pop songs at the time. Mm -hmm. So by the time Steely Dan come to can't buy a thrill, 1972, uh, like it's no longer, it's already like an outmoded musical gesture to put sitar in your track. And I wonder whether I just, cause I'm trying to get my bearings in the Dan world. Like, the whole song to me feels like a facsimile of a groove and then you have the facsimile of a facsimile because it's an electric sitar coming off the back of a quite shallow trend for sitar in pop music it kind of feels like every musical decision they're making is sort of an ironic arm's length is that am i like am i barking up the the wrong tree here let me um, let me read you a little bit from the uh, again from the reissue liner notes. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure where I've clicked this from, but I think I think they were talking a- about efforts to efforts to get a solo that they were that they that you know met their needs. Mm. Um, but we were still not satisfied, and so for the occasion of Denny's Denny Diaz uh, Denny's solo on "Do It Again," we hired in a choral electric sitar. This novel instrument, replete with dual lipstick tube pickups and sympathetic strings and a, special, <laughs> and a special bridge that produced the sitar-like buzzing sound, added that extra something that the tune called for. Mm. Similarly, Donald rented for himself a strange Yamaha organ that had, amongst other things, a felt strip for producing glisses that were heretofore unheard of on a keyboard instrument. Oh, so like on a MIDI keyboard where you have the little... Uh, yeah. <laughs> dial. It was like that. Yeah, but uh, um, I, I, I don't know if it's the same one the Beach Boys uh, used on um, Good Vibrations, or at least when that they was performed a therapy, it live. It? Well, uh, yeah, but when they, I've got, I've seen live footage of them, and they've got this kind of, mm. they do it on a kind of strip. Yeah. Um. So, so it might have been the same sort of thing, but yeah. Um, I certainly get the impression that the instrumentation was considered novel at the time. The electric sitar and the the organ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because remember, 
remember that sitar was almost always in a con in the context of um of kind of psychedelic bands being kind of clumsily yeah you know indian or or, or whatever yeah 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 like i um, said it's kind of a gesture isn't it it's sort of like how do we make this sound far out yeah whack on a bit of sitar so you know I'm yeah saying, so it's kind of repurposed i guess in this track yeah um how how that would have rippled the waves of the music scene at the time i can't i, I obviously can't comment on but mm. um you know it, it's I, I i would argue that it's as far away from that kind of psychedelic um uh, trope as, as as you can get really it's um this is yeah. This is kind of shiny, shiny, slick yacht rock. Yeah. So it interests me then. So because you said that you sort of have a bit of an aversion to the dead, as in the Grateful Dead, um, because they're a jam band. But I mean that. So from about like, is it what two and a half minutes in? There's like a minute and a half of noodling mm-hmm. the electric sitar thing it just sounds to me like when i was a kid i used to i used to go to a guitar fair with my dad at the nec that doesn't surprise me carry on <laughs> it just makes me think of i can imagine danny diaz sitting on the the coral uh stand at a guitar fair at the nec playing that solo you know mm-hmm. It doesn't sound to me like sound to me to be touched by any kind of inspiration. It feels like a a quite formulaic wig out, but played on an electric sitar. Okay, I mean, I, I don't, I don't hold this solo in any particular regard. Um, what about? Uh... <laughs> oh, oh no, wait, is that the, I think... <laughs> is that the sitar solo? <laughs> You mean the organ solo? The, old, the organ solo, to. yes. Well, I think by that point, my eyes had rolled so far back into my head that I couldn't hear anymore. Um, out, of, out of pure ecstasy? Um, out of sort of... Or exegesis. <laughs> out of just a vague sense of um, being hard done by. Okay. You know, yeah. No, uh, sorry, I'm being... really I'm... horrible for you, isn't it? This whole process. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because what surprised me about the tune was that the chorus was very good like mm-hmm. it's brief but it stuck in my head and i, I mean, like, like i a... like the chords i like the you know and i enjoy the overall groove but when you say to me that this is an outlier in their catalogue and normally they're much more tight and constricted and you know more clinical that terrifies me going forward okay terrifies is a strong word no, I mean, I, I, I want it to terrify you. <laughs> I, I, ideally, I want to hit. I want. I want to hit that. Um, I want to walk that thin line before between you being like terrified and annoyed, mm. um, but still curious enough to carry on. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to lose you. Um, no, no. And I don't um, want to be lost. I, I can't think of another person who would be willing to put themselves through this because I know plenty of people <laughs> who hate Steely Dan. Yeah. 
Um, so you know, I, I I still think you'll like them by the end of <laughs> by the end of this. Yeah, I think you, I think you'll like them by the end of series two. By the time we've got through Countdown to Ecstasy, album number two, I think you're going to be on board okay. the Choo Choo Dan train. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, was that prepared? No. The Choo Choo Dan train. No, this is all. This is all uh, off the the top of my dome. Clever, clever big head. Mm. Um, um, we need to get onto the lyrics, don't we? Well, can I just mention one more thing, musically speaking, which is which is that. Um, I guess because of its kind of repetitive, vampy nature. Mm. Um, so this song was subject to one of the very first mashups um, mm-hmm. by a by an Italo disco group called Clubhouse, I believe, um, which uh, which which put this together with Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. Oh, I can yeah, I can imagine that. So you can you can imagine so it's basically the, yeah yeah. Well, because the baseline the... is kind of dum bum bum bum, isn't it? Bum 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 bum. Well, you know, you got the So anyone to to you, Andrew, and to anyone listening, um I suggest you listen to this. Um it's uh, yeah by Clubhouse and it's called Do It Do It Again Medley with Billy Jean. Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting as a piece of kind of um, you know r- retrospective. Oh look, they did something before other people, but also um, also it's just interesting because it sounds like Ozzy Osbourne on vocals, but <laughs> but singing over this kind of like Italo disco facsimile of Do It Again crossed with Billy Jean. So I didn't listen too closely to the lyrics. I sort of let them wash over me the few times I listened to it. So maybe I could report my vibe and then mm-hmm. see if it, you know, um, matches up with the Dan's intentions. Yeah, go vibe me out. Okay, so the impression I got was that it was a slightly puritanical and moralizing tale about somebody like a city boy who is into gambling and uh, sleeping around and he is kind of yeah he's in a sort of hogarthian netherworld if you will uh and keeps going back to the things that are causing him damage so it's like you go back jack and you do it again mm-hmm. um back jack rhyming with blackjack i don't know whether oh. that's intentional interesting observation yeah i hadn't thought um, of that and there's a line the, the 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 phrase that jumped at me was two timer which in i thought in a room with your two timer yeah which i thought was quite clever because the song is called do it again um and a two timer has obviously done it twice um mm-hmm. but yeah that was the sense i got was it was kind of like i i just pictured some sort of los angeles uh in where people are playing you know Playing craps and uh, downing pina coladas and fucking each other, but the so, da- but the dance perspective is, you know, you just can't help yourself. You just keep going back, like the shallow worm that you are. Well, yeah. I, I, what do well, you think? To, to give you the to give you their perspective again from the reissue liner notes, which in general are an are an amazing source of 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 danisms. 
Mm. Um, but they call it Urban Sturm und Drang. Storm and Thunder. Storm. It, it's right? usually translated as Storm and Stress. It's oh, fuck. A, a, from Wikipedia, a proto-romantic movement in German literature and music that occurred between the late 19, uh, 1760s and early 1780s. Within the movement, individual subjectivity and, in particular, extremes of emotion were given free expression in reaction to the perceived constraints of rationalism imposed by the Enlightenment and associated aesthetic movements. Right, so there's some emotion in the song. Well, I guess it's just like... Um, I, I guess it's just like... Uh, things are shit. Yeah. Things are shit, let's actually talk about it in terms, in, instead of pretending everything's all rosy and romantic. Yeah. And and and, and nostalgically rose-tinted. Um, that is... That is not my take on, on it. Um, again, again, seeing this through a kind of like... Uh, 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 having an awareness of the whole Dan catalogue, this is um, again. It feels like an like an outlier to me mm. for a number of reasons. First of all, I get almost kind of like Wild West vibes from this song. Like, like it's um, the all all the all the talk of kind of like hangmen, mm. hangmen not hanging, and. Um, and, and and a guy with like a with, with I can't remember the exact reference, but I think they they talk about like you shooting someone who stole your water. Yeah, you I know. think that's the opening line, isn't it? Yeah. In the morning you go gunning for the man who stole your water. Yeah. Um, and you fire till he is done in, but they catch you at the border. So I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, talking, yeah. I'm thinking like uh, like. Texas Mexican border, um, the panhandle. Yeah, it's, it, or yeah. It's, yeah, or, yeah, and it's like a oh yeah, you're running. You're, is that you're, what I mean? Kind of, it's it's so it's it's kind of like and then hangman. It's kind of like is this a period piece? And I, you know whether it's metaphorical or not, um, the themes that it brings up to me mm. are kind of like it's somewhere between kind of spaghetti western and um, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah dr- dr- driving across the border. Um, so, can I ask you, as a you know a novice, a Dan novice, what is Steely Dan's relationship to women? I only ask because, like I say, I let the lyrics wash over me. I wasn't listening too attentively, but it seemed a little bit like this guy, Jack. Uh, he is kind of falling again and again. And one of the reasons for that is because of his uh, two-timing lover. Mm-hmm. And it seems a little bit kind of like it's implying that she's like a seductress who is making him fall again and again, which seems a little, you know, a little bit regressive. So I was just wondering, like, uh, if you were going to deliver a, a lecture called Steely Dan and Women, would it be... Steely Dan are cool or Steely Dan are not cool? <laughs> Just to reduce it to the most simplistic well, terms no, possible. I mean, I, I mean, viewed through a kind of a, a, a kind of modern feminist lens, I don't, I don't know that Steely Dan would stand up particularly well because, because in women, women do t- tend to take the form of a um, of a kind of tempting or destructive other. Mm. 
Oh, but, I'm so pleased. My instinct was uh, mm, not miles off. But I, I think that's. I think that becomes less pronounced as time goes on because, which kind of brings me on to my next point, really, which is that this is this is by Steely Dan standards, like broad strokes. So, mm. it's 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 a bit of it's it's a bit of a narrative song, but told in such kind of broad metaphorical terms. Has to be almost kind of like an Aesop mm. of, 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 like you say, moralizing. Don't do bad things. Yeah, like like wine, women, and violence, because they will they will come back to get you. Um, yeah, yeah. The I think they get off. I think it's less problematic later on because to Celia Dan. Because they, because because Steely Dan's tendency is whenever doing a kind of narrative piece, mm. is is to is to hone in on details that are so specific, as to um, as to alienate anyone but themselves. So, <laughs> well, so a lot their, of the time later, re- references to women, for instance, and many other things will be um, will be to one specific women woman that they may or may not have made up. So, right. so, 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 this i this kind of um, this kind of idea of 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 like of a broadly moralistic Steely Dan song again doesn't have many parallels in 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 the catalogue, and mm. even and even the other hit from this record, um, Reeling in the Years, is, is kind of hones in on a specific kind of personal relationship. Um, but okay. that said, I don't think they get away scot free in terms of in, in in terms of portrayal of women. His ham-fisted exegesis in last month's Vanity Fair made me cringe. So, when we were planning this uh, podcast, we were talking about a way to rate each individual song and i suggested uh we could uh rate each song either as a royal slam or a royal scam the reason for this being that there is a steely dan album called royal scam Mm -hmm. um even though i suggested it i feel this is slightly lacking in nuance and it's kind of binary like it's either good or it's shit but let's go with it let's run with it yeah, I mean it, it's it's at least statistically useful. Um, yeah, if if we, if we wanted to like put it all in a spreadsheet when we'd finished, it would be it would be easy to work with that data, and that appeals to me. I, I think I'm going to heavily skew towards Royal Slams mm-hmm. in in general, but for Do It Again, um, it's such a it's such an iconic piece in in the Steely Dan discography. I th- it's it was the introduction to Steely Dan. It is so not Steely Dan in so many ways, and yet it is so emblematic of this album. It is absolutely a royal slam, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so can you imagine? So if if Ollie Piper was called up to compile a Steely Dan greatest hits, would do it again? Be on there? It would be track number one. Right. Okay. So as for you, uh, so I'm going to say that it is a royal scam. However, it has changed my perception of Steely Dan. I enjoyed parts of it. It's more catchy than I was expecting. 
Okay. And that's a plus when you're trying to get into something, just something mm -hmm. that sticks in your mind. Um, so I'm going to say it's a royal scam just because I think I I don't think I would listen to it again for pleasure. However, it has tickled my trout. Okay, good. I mean, I I feel that you may revise that opinion when you inevitably fall fall for the uh, yeah the steely gaze, but <laughs> for now that can stand. Thank you for listening to Countdown to Exegesis, your listen-along Steely Dan podventure. If you'd like to follow us on the old sock meds, you can do so on Instagram and Facebook at Countdown to Exegesis, or on Twitter at ExegesisPod. And uh, just to be frank and candid, it's me, Andrew, who is uh, captaining the social media accounts. I'm the one churning out Steely Dan memes without fully understanding what the joke is. Great, and we should also mention that we have a old-fashioned email account at countdowntoexegesis at gmail.com in case anyone wants to get in touch with any longer form queries or suggestions. And we can also be followed individually, myself via my band, The Nature Centre, which is The Nature Centre on everywhere except Instagram, which is The Nature Centre Band, and that's The Nature Centre spelt in the Commonwealth fashion. How about you, Andrew? You can follow me on one of two avenues. Uh, one is my band Obman's Box, which is spelled O-D-M-A-N-S-B-O-X. Or you can follow me in my solo guise as William William Rogers. Uh, that's Rogers with a D, so R-O-D-G-E-R-S. And that's on all the usual sock meds. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, uh, give us a review, thumbs up, subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps. Cheers! <laughs>